Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that is, in the history of bad ideas, light years ahead of everything. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. Together, we're working our way through the entirety of the MCU, and we'll take a bullet in the head on the rocks. So listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 2, Episodes 5 to 7. Okay, Lonnie. Yes. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. gave me another gift, a true gift (laughs) in this set of episodes, because I get to talk about a character that has only recently become a character I cared about at all, but now I care about her a lot. Awesome. I love it. She's been around for a while, but only Mm -hmm. recently does she matter to me, (laughs) and her name (laughs) is Bobby Morse. AKA Mockingbird. All right, I love it. And and not for nothing, mm-hmm. we'll get into it, but I really like her on this show so far. I like her too. I I I don't know. We'll talk about it a little bit. I've always had kind of like a, a mixed reaction. I think I've always wanted to like her more than I have, but I always like her a lot. We, yes, that's a conversation mm-hmm. for later, but it's just I was a little trepidatious because yeah. um, I did this is my first introduction to her uh to the mm-hmm. MCU Bobby. And like I said, recently, like since the show came on, she has become somebody that I want done right by, you know? So Uh I was like, oh, bite my fingernails. No, it's fine. (laughs) Yeah, I think she I think she does pretty well. But I'm interested in hearing this comic book background for this character, because although she's called Mockingbird, right, in the the comics, I don't think we ever call her Mockingbird. And I'm very curious where that name came from. So what can you tell me about Bobby Morse? Well, she has a very gradual introduction mm-hmm. and she would eventually be known as Dr. Barbara Morse and even later Mockingbird. Yeah. But in the weirdest, most circuitous path. <laughs> and unlike our usual weirdness, this is some stuff that's actually explainable by the slapdash method of comic book publication <laughs> in the 1970s. Uh-huh. Specifically two series, one of which we've talked about. Yes. And those Mm -hmm. two series are Astonishing Tales and Savage Mm -hmm. Tales. Okay. So the woman who would be Bobby Morse first appears in Astonishing Tales number six, cover dated June 1971, as a nameless brunette woman on the doorstep of the ancestral manse of the Plunder family. Mm -hmm. She is looking for the current lord of the manor, Kevin Plunder, who is also known as Kazar of the Savage Land. (laughs) Now, let me digress for a moment, because if I don't explain that, then some of Bobby's earliest stuff will not make any sense. So for the first time ever for Listen Up A-Holes, I am going to, Mm -hmm. on purpose, pause in the discussion (laughs) of one character to move to the discussion of another character. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about Kevin Plunder, a.k.a. Kazar of the Savage Land. Yes. Mm -hmm. Kazar is, in short, the Marvel Universe's answer to Tarzan. Okay. He really is a lot of fun. But he's not very original. Mm-hmm. He's got a super smart saber-toothed tiger for a sidekick instead of apes, which I All admit right. is mm-hmm. pretty dope. <laughs> but otherwise, he's Tarzan. Yeah. To keep it brief, Kevin Renigeld is Lord Plunder of England, the son of the mm-hmm. English nobleman who discovered the Savage Land. And here's where shit gets real interesting. The Savage Land 
is a swath of tropical jungle beneath the surface of Antarctica, surrounded by a ring of volcanoes originally created as a nature preserve by extraterrestrials for nigh-omnipotent beings from another universe. Oh my God, that is the most fabulous sentence I think that has ever been uttered by anyone anywhere. <laughs> I really like the Savage Land, not the least of which because it took a uh -huh. long time to discover all that. Originally, mm -hmm. it was just a place in Antarctica that the X-Men crash landed and went, oh shit, dinosaurs. Wow, okay. Now, eventually, the aliens got bored of the place and they just bounced off of Earth. But they left all of their own self-perpetuating technology in place to maintain the mm -hmm. climate. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, Atlanteans found it before the cataclysm that sank their nation, and those sure. Atlanteans mastered the genetic manipulation technology left behind by the aliens and toyed mm -hmm. with the DNA of several humanoid species to create the various, again, mostly humanoid tribes that reside within the Savage Land today. Okay. So to sum up... <laughs> a secret jungle beneath Antarctica maintained by alien technology that has dinosaurs, saber-toothed tigers, a host of humanoid but weird tribes, lost and buried magics, and a strain of vibranium that melts other metals. <laughs> it is so damn great, and I love it so much. That is crazy. And so this is where Kazar comes from. Yeah. Well, he comes okay. from England. Oh, okay. Right, but in the in the Tarzan manner, when he is there, like his father goes on, you know, sort of great white hunter stuff into the Savage uh -huh. Land, discovers vibranium, but something complicated and tragic happens to him, and Kevin yes. is left there, and he is adopted by the super smart saber-toothed tiger, Zabu. Okay. So Zabu is very much like the, uh, you know what, I bet Tarzan's ape mom has a name, but it's been so long since I read Tarzan, I don't remember it. But Zabu right. is the stand-in for that. Mm -hmm. For that. Um, okay. Because the Savage Land is weird, and there is yes. a strain of vibranium there, mm -hmm. that has mutagenic qualities. So mm -hmm. due to exposure to radiation, Zabu is of nearly human intelligence. Wow. Yeah. And so adopted Kazar taught him how to live in the Savage Land, and they're inseparable. And I really like Kazar a lot, even though he is just basically Tarzan Redux, because the the ability to go to the Savage Land and have those kind of adventures, and then his brother gets mixed up in it and is one of his major bad guys, so sometimes he has to run back to England and take care of family stuff. And a lot of times he's just hanging out in New York because he knows the X-Men, what with the fact that they kept crash landing in the Savage Land. You'd think they'd learn. <laughs> so I really like him, so but wait. that's accepting the fact that he's Tarzan, you know. So he can travel freely? Between all these spaces? Because, like, I understand, like, how, how little was he when his dad died? Oh, so he is a child when he gets mm -hmm. left behind in the Savage Land. But, but he but, knows who he is and he knows about England and he's not so young that it gets erased. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. And then he is an adult when he first meets the X-Men. And yeah. so, you know, they've got jets. And then when he gets back to England, okay. he realizes he's actually pretty rich. So he also has jets, <laughs> you know. Right. Okay. But I mean, right. again, that's all straight Tarzan stuff. Like Tarzan yeah. was mm -hmm. himself Lord Greystoke. And in the same way, yeah. Kazar is Lord mm -hmm. Plunder. And it's, you know, it's that whole thing. Mm -hmm. Very unfortunate family name, I feel. Or, you know. Well, or, you know, like very direct. Uh, on point, like nobody's, right? nobody's looking for subtext or subtlety there. What was his right? dad doing? De <laughs> you know, despoiling the Savage Land. So, yeah. <laughs> Lord colonialism. Right. right. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, I love that. Hello, I'm the yeah. Duke of Colonialism. <laughs> I own stock in pith helmets and jodhpurs. <laughs> so, back to Proto Bobby, who arrives <laughs> on Kazar's doorstep. Yes. She apparently had a low-level psychic power because she could sense that Lord Plunder was in danger. Mm-hmm. And when she was informed that Kevin was in the Savage Land, she swore to wander the Savage Land until she found him, which she did a few issues later and also found herself reunited with her fiancé, Paul. Who was hanging out in the Savage Lands? Listen, that is less important than the thing that I am, <laughs> than the last time that we talked about Paul. Because you may recall that I mentioned Bobby was tied up in the origin of your favorite pile of sentient swamp muck, the man thing. <laughs> right. Oh, man, it's all coming together now. Ah, well, in as much as anything does, yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, Bobby getting wrapped up in that more or less happens because of a fluke of publishing. To hearken Mm -hmm. back, you may recall, the Man-Thing story that was slated for Savage Tales number two was his origin story. But unfortunately, Mm -hmm. that book went under after a single issue. Yeah. So the Man-Thing origin was included here in Astonishing Tales number 12 as a flashback framed between the main action with Kazar, Paul, and Barbara in the Savage Land. Mm-hmm. This is where we first hear her full name of Dr. Barbara Morse and discover mm-hmm. how she was a scientist working on Project Gladiator. And if you want to hear more about the Man-Thing and the maniacal laughter it instills <laughs> in my lovely co-host, I'll refer you to episode 20 of Listen Up, A-Holes. <laughs> Yeah, that was definitely a very fun four-color fact yeah. that day. <laughs> Ooh, I love it when it's accidentally dirty. So <laughs> it's the only thing better than on-purpose dirty, right? Right. Now, it's in the next issue that we are first told of Barbara's connections to S.H.I.E.L.D. as she was mm-hmm. asked to pretend to be in love with Paul so as to uh-huh. inform on his dealings with AIM. Remember, he's a double agent. Right, right. Mm-hmm. The story closes with Barbara hoping she can return to just being a scientist. Arrested Development narrator, she did not. (laughs) Roy Thomas took over Astonishing Tales and sets up a new status quo for Kazar, where he lives in New York and God deliver us, lady biologist Barbara, (laughs) now preferring Bobby, Uh goes on adventures with him. It's during all this that we discover she's a fully trained S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, designated Agent 19, as well Mm -hmm. as a biology Ph.D., Mm-hmm. And if I'm honest, I read a few of these issues to get a feel for it, and she's kind of a drag in these. Oh, no. Because yeah. she's like the jungle sucks counterpoint to Kazar's the urban jungle is every bit the shithole the real jungle is. You know, Oh, God. Like, yeah, that's not fun. Yeah, he loves the Savage Land and thinks New York is just okay, and she's like, you're mm-hmm. completely wrong, you parochial idiot. And it's like, <laughs> it, it's got a limit. You know, it's got a shelf right. life. So. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the writing's kind of on the wall, because when a more jungle-friendly blonde arrives on the scene in Shauna the She-Devil, Bobby Mm -hmm. realizes that Kazar isn't that into her, and she bounces. Okay. Mm -hmm. She briefly appears as a costumed adventurer called The Huntress, and this was supposed Mm -hmm. to be a two-parter in a bi-weekly book, but due to yet another contraction of the publishing industry, the story was condensed into a single issue with no follow-ups. However, this is Bobby's first ever sabbatical from S.H.I.E.L.D. to operate as a costumed hero, and that does lead directly to Mockingbird. Okay. So if you're wondering why Bobby unceremoniously moved from the Huntress persona in 1976 to Mockingbird in 1980, we need to look across the street to the distinguished competition. 
1977, DC Comics had introduced a popular new character called the Huntress, who was the daughter of the Golden Age Batman and Catwoman of Earth 2. Mm-hmm. Helena remains in various different types and strains and reboots a pretty popular character like a pretty popular Mm -hmm. secondary character so by the time they got around to bringing bobby back they were like there's no way we can just call her the huntress right (laughs) our one issue is not beating the daughter of batman and catwoman i'm sorry so Mm -hmm. jumping forward three years the next biggest thing happens in bobby's life she meets hawkeye (gasps) hawkeye your favorite. He's super my favorite. And for reasons that nobody <laughs> understands, least of all me, they elope. Oh, wow. Okay. But look, Bobby has questionable taste in men. Much later, <laughs> she dates Peter Parker and even lets him sleep on her couch after they've broken up and he's lost his fortune and company. Oh, so, <laughs> Well, that's nice of her. But yeah. Okay. You've had deadbeat ex-boyfriends, Lonnie. You know that that is not the best plan ever. How do you no, make them no, leave? It's... It's it's terrible. I mean, it doesn't show good judgment, but it's, you know, it's sweet. Sure, it's sweet. She's nice. Yeah, it's, you know? ni- it's yeah. nice. And and really, <laughs> if anybody was going to be able to bounce Parker's deadbeat ass off her couch, Bobby's the one. So, you know. <laughs> and it is Peter Parker. I mean, he's, you know, he may be in a deadbeat space, but he's also, like, saved the world a number of times. I mean, I think you can give a guy who saved the world, you know, a week or two on your couch. Fair enough. For old time's sake. Also, boy, will we get to this in future installments, but modern Peter Parker is a complicated bundle of neuroses and problematic stuff. So (laughs) just don't date him. That's actually my advice to every woman in the 616. Do not date Peter Parker. So, Okay. (laughs) Now, one good thing that comes out of her marriage to Hawkeye was joining the Avengers. And shortly Mm -hmm. after that, the couple moves to Los Angeles to start a second West Coast branch of the superhero team. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. This results in quite a wild time of Mockingbird kind of jumping from superhero team to superhero team, sometimes with Hawkeye and sometimes without, as their relationship waxed and waned. Mm -hmm. She would eventually sacrifice herself to save Hawkeye's life from Mephisto, Mm -hmm. the Marvel Satan. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I believe I've mentioned him before. I but that's so. basically what it comes down to. Much like Kazar is Marvel Tarzan, just barely. We didn't even sure. scrape the serial numbers off. We just smudged them. Right. Yeah, that's Mephisto. Put a little duct tape over them yeah. and then wrote on top, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, she then makes some after-death appearances, sometimes as an animated corpse, mm-hmm. and also in various states of afterlife. Once she was wow. in hell, but uh-huh. sent a message to the living Avengers that resulted in the resurrection of my favorite superhero of all time, Hellcat. Uh-huh. Another time she was in heaven and had joined a book club of other famous dead women. <laughs> the only one of whom you might recognize being Gwen Stacy. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Except it wasn't Mockingbird that died, apparently. Okay. 16 years after that story where she sacrificed herself to save Clint, by the way, mm-hmm. gross, she was reckoned <laughs> to have been abducted and replaced by a shape-changing scroll. Okay. We'll talk more about them come Captain Marvel time, I suspect. All right. Mm-hmm. So the air quotes, real Bobby was freed, returned to Earth, and became Mockingbird again. Now, I'm air quoting because as far as continuity is concerned, this is the real Bobby. Like, this is what happened. It's just like. Right. But who was in heaven and who was in hell? And how did she travel freely between the two? Between her abduction? Well, she was in hell at first. 
Like, oh. no, because the, the two oh, afterlife that? bobbies, right. like, who who were those chicks? Yeah. Yes. It's be- Okay. And I'm just... I'm- no, no. This is actually kind of... So one of those, <laughs> if if we're honest, one of those appearances, the one where she's in heaven in a book club, yeah. is mm-hmm. a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Okay. But the other one is very serious. Like, it results in the resurrection of Hellcat, who remains a prominent character in the 616. So it's kind of like, wait, how right. did that happen? So was that really her? Was that not really her? Or are we just pretending that didn't happen? I is think that... you're asking questions that nobody who's writing for Marvel <laughs> Comics is interested in answering. <laughs> I get it. I get it. That's completely fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not, but it's we got to roll with it, you know? Yeah, but, you know, 70 years of comics, like having everything be consistent within the world is a bit much to ask. 100% true. I mean, they used to give yeah. prizes mm-hmm. for people who sent in explanations for problems that also answered the problem. Oh my God, I love it. Now, technically there are no prizes. They would literally be empty envelopes from the Marvel office. Oh, but that's cool though. Right? It is. Yeah, That in itself is cool. Yeah, I like it. Great. It's a great idea. I don't think they do that anymore because they just Mm kind of would like people to stop pointing out when they don't pay attention to their own (laughs) continuity. We'll give you a prize for shutting the hell up and just letting it be. (laughs) so there's a lot of stuff mixed into this return of the real bobby that i super do not care about so i'm going to suggest that anyone who loves mockingbird can ask me about my feminist agenda by reading 2016's (laughs) titular series written by chelsea kane all right just skip all that sometimes a scroll bullshit and read the chelsea Uh kane series it is excellent Awesome. And that's when you started to care about Mockingbird? Yes. So, All right. um, well, yes and no. I actually was reading West Coast Avengers when she and Hawkeye were leading the team. Oh, um, yeah. And mm-hmm. without going too far down this rabbit trail, she accidentally betrays the team and causes Vision to be disassembled and mind wiped. And wow. that is actually one of the major stressors on her relationship with Hawkeye and with the West uh-huh. Coast Avengers. And it's one of the reasons she starts bouncing around to other teams and not always being present with them. And awesome. the very first issue of West Coast Avengers that I remember buying, like I, I probably had some before this, but the first one I remember, the very first page is a full page of Vision's disassembled face. Oh, wow. Because because it's bad, right? Like, this mm-hmm. is very bad. Sure. Um, yeah. And so I kind of turned up right as she was on her way out. But I was, you know, she came back and went back and forth. And I always thought she was so much cooler than Hawkeye. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I was, I, even then I was like, why are you into him? But so, I, so right. like, the seeds were kind of planted when I was a much younger person. But then... With Chelsea Kane's series, yeah, it really gets cemented. She's just great. I mean, I mean, she's hyper competent. Um, mm-hmm. She's that that really great mix. I mean, I kind of love this in Batman too. She's not really a detective, but she's super smart, but also very physically capable. So she, yeah, uh, this is actually some things they're doing with Spider Man in the PS4 Spider Man game, where mm-hmm. he's a science guy, right? So he's right. physically able to get into these places, and then they can science it up. I love that. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, it brought a bunch of trollish douches out of the woodwork when Mockingbird appeared on the cover of an issue wearing a T-shirt that said, ask me about my feminist agenda. So <laughs> I love it. Love it. Love it. So <laughs> so to kind of wrap up Mockingbird, she mostly yes. relies on her shield training, her mastery of staff combat. That's where the Escrima sticks 
kind of come into. Are, are those the batons? Yes. Are those called yeah. the screamistics? Yes. Uh, okay. And her scientific acumen. Mm-hmm. However, of late, she has been injected with a version of the super soldier serum bolstered with the infinity formula, which is the thing that keeps Nick Fury so young and fresh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this seems to have resulted in enhanced agility, strength, and healing, but they're not sure what the long-term issues will be. Right. Like, it's not. Uh-huh. It was a real cobbled together solution to her not dying. So, sure. Yeah. Right. But largely, she's just a badass woman who is tops at S.H.I.E.L.D. HQ, Avengers mm-hmm. Mansion, and in the lab. She's great. Okay. So can I ask you, why the name Mockingbird? What meaning does that have for her? Is She she doesn't, like, mimic things or sing, right? She does, <laughs> does not. She do? mm-hmm. So um, I believe it was Roy Thomas, again, who was working on villains for the She-Hulk comic book when he was <laughs> writing She-Hulk. And so he had in his notebook this this costume idea and name Mockingbird. Yeah. And when mm-hmm. he was wanting to bring back a the Bobby Morse character, they realized they could not use Huntress anymore, and he kind of just went back to the notebook. So mm-hmm. it's not a highly specialized or important name to her although it very i feel like it very much becomes that thing like that's the thing she becomes known as but it's not right. tied mm-hmm. to her powers or skill set or something like that i think so it's the, just like a code name yeah yeah you, essentially yeah. i think you're kind mm-hmm. of backfilling that a little bit because but she is shield from jump so the idea that mm-hmm. she just chose a costumed identity code name that then she kind of yeah. grew into or it grew into mm-hmm. her is is pretty cool and a different take on that than you usually get all right, pretty cool. And and it results in the much better Hawkeye, mm-hmm. Kate Bishop. Before she was Hawkeye, she stole stuff that belonged to both Hawkeye and Mockingbird and wore it all at the same time and everybody called her Hawkingbird and it was delightful. <laughs> that is adorable. Yeah, yeah. I'm I sure, like that. I like that a lot. I really hope that I get to talk about Kate and the rest of the Young Avengers sometime in the future. But, you know, phase four. I, I imagine. You know. Yeah. Eventually, eventually we'll get there <laughs> or we'll find an excuse. Maybe there's an excuse hidden within Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to talk about it. Fingers crossed. Fingers, Fingers crossed. crossed. All right. Well, that is a fantastic four color facts. I am astounded by the Savage Lands and completely into it now because that is fascinating. It's great. I <laughs> wish the MCU idea. had the guts. Uh, yeah, I don't think they're going to go there, but it was definitely fun to hear about. All right. So are we ready to do our episode summaries for these three episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Let's do it. In a hen in the wolf house, Simmons' cover is blown at Hydra as an undercover agent named Bobby Morse shows up to save her. Raina tries to bring Skye to her father to get Whitehall off her back, but Coulson ends up using her to get Whitehall instead. Skye goes off book and follows Raina to find her father, but all she finds is a bunch of dead bodies, an empty warehouse, and a picture. A Hen in the Wolf House aired on October 21st, 2014, and was written by Brent Fletcher and directed by Holly Dale. In A Fractured House, when a shadow group pretending to be S.H.I.E.L.D. attacks the U.N. using alien tech, Coulson sends a bickering hunter and Bobby along with Melinda May and her saintly patients on a mission to figure out who's behind the attack. Coulson offers Senator Christian Ward custody of his brother Grant in return for the senator coming out publicly in support of S.H.I.E.L.D., but Grant breaks his hand in half and escapes. Fitz and Simmons try to communicate after months apart. 
A Fractured House aired on October 28, 2014, and was written by Rafe Judkins and Lauren LaFranc and directed by Ron Underwood. In The Writing on the Wall, one of the agents Coulson experimented on, then memory wiped, is carving alien symbols into other experimented upon agents, and Coulson feels responsible, as he well should. <laughs> he goes into the memory machine to track down the carver, and then discovers that the symbols are a 3D blueprint to some kind of alien city, and he's determined to find it. Meanwhile, May, Hunter, and Bobby go after Ward with limited success, although he does leave a nice present behind for them, Bakshi, tied up and waiting with a gift tag that reads, For Coulson. The Writing on the Wall aired on November 11th, 2014, and was written by Craig Tightly and directed by Vincent Miziano. All right, so here we have these three episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season two, we're kind of getting deep into it. And of course, like, as everybody knows, I already know everything that happens, you know, throughout the run of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm so familiar with all of this. My first question every time is going to be, what did you think of these episodes? I I'm having a really good time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean... I'm going to not, This will. I, I will endeavor for this to be the last time that I say this, but boy, why the hell didn't we start with the good shit? Right. <laughs> I'm just, because now I'm having a really good time. I like this team. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, with some, I don't want to say caveats, but with some like kind of question marks that yeah. we'll talk about mm -hmm. as we go. Um, but I mean, overall, I really, I really like this dynamic. I, I like how damn weird Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is. Oh, yeah. I, I mean... It's only going to get weirder, man. Which is wonderful, because this is my number one complaint with the MCU, is like, yeah. step up the weird, you guys. You know, Go ahead. Go for it. Yeah. But Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is doing all that, and I just didn't know, because unfortunately, mm -hmm. instead of doing that at the beginning, they bored the piss out of me. So I don't, you know. Yes. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm basically in. I mean, I'm still trepidatious of the fact that there are, what, five or six or a thousand seasons, but... Yeah. I, you know, I'm that for every show. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. So here we have, we talked about Mockingbird and the four color facts. So let's go ahead and start with her. She comes in huge in the middle of this episode. I remember when I first watched it, I knew Adrian Palicki from um, Friday Night Lights, right? You know, yes. uh, where yeah. she was really great in that. Um, she was fantastic in that show. Uh, but a very, obviously, clearly different character. So when I saw her here, I was like, okay, well, what's going on here? Um, she comes in, she at first is, you know, really, really scary, like Hydra lady, you know? Yes. Um, and then all of a sudden, down the hallway, she's walking, she's about to capture Simmons, and then she just pulls out her batons and demolishes these two guys and then she's like don't worry colson's got a plan <laughs> i love it i love that yeah. like, i love when when simmons is like what is going on <laughs> she has no idea it is absolutely adorable and simmons of course undercover is really really fun um but i do like bobby when she first shows up you know um it's it's fun to kind of see her save simmons and it's this very high octane thing you know we see her switch sides in the middle of it or you know reveal her her double identity anyway and that she's working for colson and colson's got an eye on her but i mean during that moment that very tense moment with reina you know where reina's like well i'm gonna let everybody know that it's you know it's simmons while we're watching simmons over at hydra central undercover you know being under suspicion she slides the uh the fish taco wrapper <laughs> tech into 
<laughs> into her co-worker's uh, desk, which is kind of hilarious. This, this, you know, because I mean, stuff that I want from an Agents of Shield show, right? Like, I love it. The fish taco wrapper. I mean, it all makes yeah. me think of flying cars and like headquarters underneath Cuban barber shops and yeah. Just give me more of that man from Uncle nonsense, please. It's so fun. I usually don't have any time for it, but I freaking, there's something about the tech in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that, like, ordinarily, I'm not into the spy gadgets. I don't care about the watch that you talk into or whatever, but I I love the tech. I love the, the you know, the fish taco wrapper that is secretly the information that they're passing. It's just, it's all so great. I love that Simmons, you know, in this really tough moment where they're, you know, barreling down on her, manages to just slide the, um, the taco wrapper into her <laughs> colleague's desk. And we heard him say how cool it was that they were going to kill billions of people. Right. You know, so I mean that's something that like, like we understand come. he's not a good guy. He's not a good guy. Like he seems he seemed like he might have been okay a little bit, you know, because I'm sure a lot of fine people got stuck working at Hydra. You know, shit happens, right? Um so I mean that was really fun. And then of course we bring Bobby back into the fold, you know, at the headquarters and discover that she is the evil ex wife of Lance Hunter. So what did you think about that reveal um okay so one of the few things that i knew about agents of shield was that Mm -hmm. bobby would make an appearance yes and i don't remember how i knew this but you know i just Mm -hmm. picked it up and i was actually legitimately annoyed that i knew that going into this episode because that reveal would have been yeah yeah um and it was it was amazing anyway but if i hadn't seen it coming whoo yeah, it was a nice moment. It was a nice moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was, uh, let's say, I think I kind of figured it out right before they revealed it. Mm-hmm. Because he had been such that guy going on about his evil ex-wife, right? right. And because I knew she was Bobby, I had this like matrix of poor taste in men in my head already Mm -hmm. and it just Mm -hmm. i never really thought about it it just clicked together and i was like oh lance is her ex-husband he's a douche yeah you know yeah (laughs) that scans lance hunter is the uh the agents of shield hawkeye which really scans because he's like the hawkeyest of hawkeyes like the lowest (laughs) fruit i like lance he's fine He's fine. I think but he's look, fun. Yeah. But look, here's the thing. He's fine. I like Lance. Okay. Like this is not, this is not, I don't like Lance. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it is two things. One, he did go on about what a monster his ex-wife is, which exactly. let's be honest, yeah. almost always says more about the man than it does about the <laughs> right. ex-wife. And right. secondly, he's going to be forever and ever overshadowed by how awesome Bobby is. Uh, very true. Very true. I mean, and if they yeah. don't do that, I'm going to be mad because the way they no. set both of them up, he should always be. He's just he's excellent, but he's just not as good as her. You know? Oh, without spoiling, I will say one, he is always overshadowed by her. And two, he likes it. Okay. <laughs> he he's not threatened by it. His masculinity isn't under some kind of attack. Like he's he's actually pretty good. So I, and that's I think one of the reasons why I do like him is that her excellence in no way does he take that as some kind of like he's supposed to be better than her. She is clearly better than him and he loves it. Like that's part of why he loves her. So that's one of the things that I like about him. I'm going to take something back. I said about Hunter then he is not the Hawkeyest okay. of low rent Hawkeyes. Okay. 
<laughs> then he is a fantastic human because another part of secure. Clint and Bobby not getting along was that Bobby was very competent and Hawkeye has a lot of problems with other competent people around him being competent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's never Lance's problem. And I actually really like that. Some of the stuff annoys me a little bit, like the constant bickering between the two of them. And also like him, you know, she's evil. She's, you know, like all this. She's not any of those things. I mean, clearly she's not any of those things. And part of it, I think, is he likes to tell that story. I think because building that narrative that she's evil maybe makes the split hurt a little less yeah. for him. So I do see that as a kind of an interesting revelation of his vulnerability. It's not that she's evil. It's that she is where his vulnerability lies and he is not at all comfortable with that. So I'm actually kind of okay with it, but in itself, like without any analysis or looking deeper at it, it gets really annoying. And the constant bickering between them can get a little flat after a while too. I mean, May was on not one, but two missions with these two assholes. And I swear to God, how she didn't kill both of them. I have no idea. Just, yeah, the zenest of Zen masters right there. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But I mean, aside from that, like independently, I like them. And I actually do. I like them together because I like the way that he's not threatened by her competence. I like the way that she is allowed to be what she is and everything that she is. And he likes that about her. You know, so I mean, all of that, I think, works works for me with them. Although some of this stuff, especially in the beginning, in these first couple of episodes, can get a little bit repetitive. It's a little bit annoying, the constant bickering. Although I do love that one moment <laughs> where they're fighting after she's gone to Japan <laughs> yes. to meet that guy. And then they're arguing and they both shoot the guy at the same time while they're in the middle of an argument. I love that. <laughs> I One of the things that I know without knowing any details around it, is that they were supposed to get a spinoff series. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I'm already going to tell you, I'm disappointed that didn't happen because they really could have been like the super spy Nick and Nora of the Marvel Universe. And I would have been really into that. That's uh, for those of you who may not know, that is a thin man reference. Yes. Um, Characters originally Mm -hmm. created by Dashiell Hammett, but then turned into a series of movies who are a uh, slightly sloshed husband and wife. Right. The wife being a socialite, the husband being an ex-detective, and they just get into trouble and solve mysteries while being half in the tank. Um, oh, yeah. Always. Always at least half in the tank. But, yeah, they could have absolutely been, like, high-tech, you know, Nick and Nora, and there could have been a lot of fun in that. Uh, but they, they were going to do it, and then they just never did. It just didn't happen. Fell apart. Which happens for a lot of TV shows, but not usually Marvel. Marvel TV shows usually find a way to happen. Yeah, I, yes. I'm surprised that we didn't at least get a season or two or something, yeah. you know, a mid-season replacement. And I will tell you, mm-hmm. I mean, perhaps my attitude will change as I watch them more, but I really doubt it. I would have watched that show right? possibly without watching any Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, I like this <laughs> dynamic a lot. So, Yeah, I like them. I think they're, I think they're really good. I think they're really fun. Um, I, but I don't know. Like, I, I like Bobby. You know, I've always like enjoyed her and but there's something about her and the two of them that like I like on paper. I like, you know, there's nothing that I dislike about them, but they don't grab me like the way that say, I don't know, Fitzsimmons grabs me (laughs) like I love both Fitz and Simmons separately I'm completely invested in them separately and together and with Bobby and Hunter I'm like yeah okay you know like I'm I'm never that invested in them 
you know? So I don't know. It's just, there's something that doesn't quite gel for me with these characters, but I think it may be a me thing rather than a them thing. Cause they're fine. Well, I've got, you know, a couple theories maybe, mm-hmm. because I think one of my theories is a thing that does bother me, not bother, but makes me wonder, you know, what exactly we're doing. Um, yeah. Like one of my theories is like in Fitz and Simmons, they are sort of uh, equal partners. Like I am yeah. equally mm-hmm. entertained by both of them. Um, yes. And in this one, I like Lance, but he was always mm-hmm. going to be second fiddle to everyone on this show, even before Bobby right. showed up. Right. So, yeah. And I mm-hmm. get that they are writing that into their relationship and that's a good call. Right. But, mm-hmm. but it also doesn't make them, you know, stand out as a unit, I guess. Uh, yeah yeah i'm just i'm not that invested in in either one of them um but but i like them i like them fine you know i like adrian palicki i like nick blood who plays hunter i you know they're just very they're very fun but for some reason they just don't get me the way that Fitz and simmons gets me which leads us into a nice segue into a little Fitz and simmons i love all of the stuff happening with Simmons at Hydra. Yes. I love that whole escape. I love everything. I love the way that she is clearly falling in love with Bobby as Bobby rescues her. <laughs> well, who wouldn't? <laughs> right. You know, and then she's like, you know, um, when she's saying you did, you did a spot on job, really, you're quite intimidating. And then she's like, I like you at a certain point. <laughs> you know where Bobby was talking yeah. about getting them uh, getting them out and then she when she gets back to the base she's like she's amazing like the crush that Simmons has on Bobby is kind of adorable and I think we only see it in this episode which is disappointing <laughs> I love it I absolutely love it she is so completely twitterpated with Bobby when Bobby enters the scene I think part of it too is that she was absolutely certain this woman was going to kill right. her and then yeah. all of a sudden this woman saves her life I mean that is a wild roller coaster of emotion I mean I think you're going to fall in love with anybody in that circumstance um, but it, it was pretty cool so it was fun seeing Simmons kind of have to, you know, um, have to, like, think on her feet in this situation that she's not quite prepared for. But Simmons is getting much, much better in the field. Yes. She's getting she's a better liar. She's you know, she's just doing so much better. And I like seeing that progression in her character. I think it's very earned. You know, yeah. um, in the beginning, you look back at season one and both Fitz and Simmons in the field were not you know, they were kind of stumbling. They were kind of the, the, the people that everybody else had to save. It was that kind of thing. Now she's really able to handle herself much, much better. I mean, she's not a perfect liar yet by any means, you know, um, but she does a lot better and she's much more competent. She was able to survive long enough for Bobby to save her, which was pretty impressive considering the circumstances. So I loved seeing that kind of context for her. I also love that they changed her hair. I love that they changed her hair because as we see her progress, like I like when when characters evolve, you know, that we give them a different look, yeah. that we show that evolution through how they appear. And her hair, which used to be super straight, slicked back, pulled back. Now she's got it loose, wavy around her face. It's shorter. You know, I mean, this is a different Simmons from the Simmons who left in the Simmons that we saw, the faux Simmons that we saw talking to Fitz all this time. Mm-hmm. And then we have this kind of like wonderful moment where Fitz is talking to faux Simmons you know, and acknowledging that Simmons is, you know, not real, that that she is just his subconscious talking to itself, you know, Um, and that he's kind of moving out of that space with faux Simmons. But then the real Simmons comes back 
And he's like, is that really you? And she's like, you know, of course, it's really me, you know. But she can't guess anything. She doesn't know the word that he's thinking of. Mm -hmm. Like, real Simmons is so completely disconnected from Fitz. And we see that, you know, how, like, his imaginary version of her knows everything about him, knows his deepest thoughts, of course, because it's his own subconscious. But in reality, they're so separated because they're not talking, you know. Mm -hmm. And then he has this whole revelatory moment with her where he says, you left because I couldn't do the things that I used to be able to do that, you know, you think I was useless, all this kind of stuff. And instead of talking to him, she just says, I can't do this and walks away. And I kind of hate that because that's one of those things that, you know, it, 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 it promotes this false conflict where he believes something to be true that is not true and she's just not telling him so like keeping secrets from each other when if you had a conversation everything would get cleared up i mean that's a source of like false narrative conflict and it always sits you know poorly with me i never really enjoy that i think that you are right that Mm -hmm. 99.9 of the time that's false conflict but here Mm -hmm. is why i buy it from fitz and simmons yeah this this may or may not help you but we'll see. Mm-hmm. No, I'm very close to buying it, but I usually don't like it. Like I, I like, I dislike it on principle. So I would love for you to, to give me a reason to buy it. Before they were trapped, yes. they were so 100% simpatico. Yeah. No actual need to have conversations. They just right. were together, right? Mm-hmm. Barring one giant emotional thing that yes. Fitz had, which I still think is terrible. Like I'm not on board with that yet and okay. may never be. So that you want to talk about false conflict after all these years, Fitz falling in love with Simmons out of nowhere. That's your false. No, conflict. he was always in love with her. He just didn't realize. No, it bro. Best friends. Recently. I'm not having it. I don't No. <laughs> no, no false conflict. Okay. See, look at that. <laughs> Give and take push and pull. Um, right. So they're so simpatico. And then they mm-hmm. have this, terrible situation where Fitz admits that he's in love with her and that's why he's going to sacrifice himself and save her and then he gets Mm -hmm. his capability taken away and she can't handle it and she leaves and now they are the opposite of simpatico right so right they're so she is so used to not having to explain and now she has to explain so much. And she's probably legitimately concerned that he would entirely understand her because he has some issues in that yeah. area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so her her unwillingness to talk about it, I think, is actually an inability to talk about it. Like, she is so yeah. emotional. This is not like your sexy nighttime CW drama where they just get exasperated with each other and walk away. You know, right. Um, they Very earned true. a place that mm-hmm. they are no longer in that place. Well, right. Because there was so much trauma for both of them. All you know, like you, they, Ward tried to kill yes. them. Then he confesses these feelings for her. Then she saves his life. But he ends up with all this brain damage, which, of course, for him, his brain is everything. Yeah, that's yeah. who he is. So for him, that's a huge loss of identity. So, yeah, I'm very, very close. Like ordinarily, I would have no time for this bullshit. I have a little time for this bullshit now, but it's kind of like, I would say it's like 85%. All right, I get it. And 15%. Oh, come on. Just talk. You know, I'll, I'll say also for me, I need them to grow back together and not just immediately yeah. fall back into it. So even if they kind of yeah. don't have room to let that conflict breathe in a way that is like 100% right. non-false, you know, true conflict, 
I, mm-hmm. I would have been incensed if she had just, you know, reinserted herself back into the lab as though nothing had ever happened. No, so. I, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't have conflict. Yeah, yeah. Like they could absolutely have that conversation and still have problems. Like and still, but like real conflict is when you've had the conversation and there's still a problem. Like the fact is that she's letting him think that she thought he was useless and that's not it at all. And she just says no, but she doesn't explain. But then we get this really nice moment later with Mac and Mac and Fitz. I absolutely love Mac is like, he's like, I never knew the other guy. I know this guy, you know, and he's so cool when he's talking to Simmons about it. And then he says, you know, from what I've seen, the only thing that makes him worse is you. And Simmons is like, I know. Why do you think I left? Right. So that, I think, makes perfect sense. I understand why she left, why she had to. What I don't understand is why she's letting him believe that um, that it was because he was useless. Hmm. You know, that it was because he wasn't the same guy. You know, I, I can see her. I can see him still being mad at her for leaving, regardless of the reason. Like, I can yeah, see her sure. being upset with it. So, like, if she had said, no, that's not the reason I left. It was because I was making you worse or whatever. And she actually spoke to him about it. And then he was like, well, I'm still pissed. I don't care why you left. You left. You left when I needed you. You know, because he has every right to be pissed about that. You know? Yeah. Um, so I think I would rather have them have just had at least that much conversation, but still have that conflict there and have to earn their way back into that closeness that they had before. You know, because you do have to kind of, like, earn that back. Also, I like Mac's protectiveness. I know. Like, he's, he's really, so like, wonderful. not here for Simmons entirely. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, that's a really authentic... I mean, the the friendship that he, and his, that he and Fitz have is not, I think, to the depth where Fitz and Simmons were, obviously. Right. You know? mm-hmm. But the fact that they're on that path like they're getting there yeah and you can tell because and mac, mac is like, doesn't tiptoe around him. yeah right right yeah. right he was willing mm-hmm. to come in and sort of do the work that simmons was not or at least that's the yeah. way he sees it i think mm-hmm. um and that's yeah, pretty great absolutely you know no it's awesome and there's that one line from fitz where he says i am different like he is accepted that he is different i think that he has mourned whatever he's lost and now he's working his way through it and she hasn't mourned or grieved for what Fitz lost yeah. and what she lost in Fitz. She still, you know, kind of, she just ran away and did something else so that she didn't have to face it. And I actually really like that dynamic there. I like the fact that Mac is, you know, Mac doesn't mess around with him. Mac doesn't play around with it. He's just like, you know, half the stuff he says is nonsense. And then Fitz is like, no, it's not, <laughs> you know, um, where like he can acknowledge that Fitz had a thing happen to his brain. He doesn't, you know, try to like um, coddle him or anything. There's that point where they're playing video games and, you know, and Fitz is like, no, I don't want to play. And he's like, no, you need to play. You need to, you know, get your hand-eye coordination, everything working. And it doesn't, you know, doesn't play around with them. Doesn't pretend like it's not a thing. It's a thing. They acknowledge it and then it's okay. You know, but with, with Simmons, it's not okay for her. So I love all of that. Just that one point where she walks away instead of them actually having that conflict stated. And she lets him believe that it's because he was useless, which is something that that shouldn't be, you know, in that in that conversation. She shouldn't be allowing that. You know, they can allow all the other problems. And he definitely has a reason to be mad at her. Mm -hmm. Um, But aside from that, I love all of it. It is a legitimate bundle of confrontation. Yes. The Fitzsimmons in these episodes, I really, really enjoyed. And it's it's a fun place kind of seeing that relationship move into whatever space it's going to be in. So I like that a lot. 
Okay, so one of the things that I actually really did completely love from Simmons was when Ward is being taken out in handcuffs, you know, being handed over to his brother. And Simmons says, if I ever see you again, I'll kill you, right? Yes. I love Dark Gemma. You know, they flirt with Dark Gemma, and I want to see Gemma go full on dark. But we get these little bits of her, you know, kind of like leaning into that darkness. She is so angry at him for what he did to her and to Fitz, you know, mm -hmm. um, that she's like, I will kill you, you know. So I love seeing that edge from her. Um, and that was probably, I think, my favorite part of the whole Ward stuff going on. I mean, you know, crazy guy in the basement thing is not necessarily a trope that I enjoy wherever it shows up but <laughs> we've had ward in the basement for a while i was glad that we're getting rid of him you know the, that that colson traded him off to his brother uh for some good pr i think that that was a good move you know um him you know down there talking to sky sky trying to get information him you know dancing around it i will take you to your father i will do this but you have to use me you know you have to keep me in order for me to give this to you i'm not just going to tell you where he is you know um this constant manipulation i will never lie to you i said i will never lie to you you know which of course he will lying is what he does if it, if it meets his you know agenda whatever that may be of course he's going to lie he's grant ward that's what he does um so we go through this like dance with him and i don't care about any of it really and then we get to the the episode the end of that episode where he's being handed over to his brother and he breaks his hand in half to get out of the cuffs and it seems to me like that's a predictable thing like you can see Grant. This is a guy that you like duct tape with his hands behind, you know, so that makes it impossible for him to break his hand in half and get out of the cuffs because that's exactly the kind of guy that he is. Um, you know, and then we have him immediately, like he broke his hand in half and he's just fine to kill a million people in a bar and like duct tape uh, Bakshi, you know, <laughs> for as a gift for Coulson. Let me slightly help you there. Yes. I, I mm -hmm. can't believe I'm going to defend literally any choice made with human ambient ward. <laughs> but what he's doing is not breaking a thing. He is, is dislocating he his thumb. Ugh. And that is a thing. But that's still got a heart. I mean, yes, yes but you I can train for it. And I am, I am like <laughs> out of commission for days. Listen, I'm not Every time do I it. use my thumb, I sliced my finger while cooking the other day. And every time I touched anything, I was like, ow, ow. Like, I mean, granted, I'm not, I'm not an agent, you know, I'm not a trained spy, but still that feels weird. It feels like you would, you would be in a little pain. You have to train at least be wincing. to be able to do yeah. it without it being debilitating but it is a but thing you can Shield train it know is a that he classic, was trained to do like that? escape artist houdini type thing uh, that, it's God, classic so that is that is what it's doing it is a thing i'm under the impression you can train yourself to do i'm not doing it right <laughs> okay but that actually speaks to your previous point yeah they probably should have seen that shit coming they probably should have seen that shit coming. And then, so we have him, you know, he's in, now he's in this bar. He meets up with Bakshi. Like, he's got this whole agenda, whatever it is that he's got to do. Um, you know, leaves Bakshi tied up, like a Sunday, you know, roast for uh, for Coulson, all of that stuff. But the thing with Ward is that, you know, he's, he's kind of one of these characters that functions sort of like a skeleton key, like a narrative skeleton key. Like, whatever it is we need somebody to do in order to keep this narrative moving 
fine. We'll just insert this character and have him do it, you know? So he was like the good guy for a while and then he was the bad guy and now he's the guy in the basement and now he's, you know, out and free and able to cause all, all manner of problem. Um, but you never really know like who Ward is. And I think that like a skeleton key character is usually a really bad thing. But when you have somebody who lies and is inconsistent, you never know when he's telling the truth the way that you do with Ward. I think actually that skeleton key kind of works. What do you think about that? I mean, I know you hate Ward. I actually like bad Ward. I believe I have tipped my hand by referring to him as a human ambien. Whenever he is on screen, I fall uh-huh. asleep. Mm-hmm. I just don't care. And the other, yeah. the other part of this is once he's loose... He turns into a lassie. Yeah. And what I mean is Lassie the dog. Lassie the dog <laughs> is not a genius dog. Lassie yes. looks like a genius because everyone around her is an idiot. <laughs> this is Wart. Everyone gets so dumb so yeah. that he can be super competent, except mm-hmm. I just don't buy a damn bit of it. And maybe that's because yeah. I'm super bored with him, but it's just like, yeah. So now that he's loose and actually doing stuff, I'm even more annoyed by Ward. So right. I don't know. Like, I'm just waiting for the day that Ward grows on you. It took me a while. Ward finally grew on me. And I think, honestly, for me, it, Brett Dalton, the actor, grew on me, I think, more than necessarily Ward did. Um, but I actually like the actor quite a bit. I think that he's very fun and um, and he can do a lot of interesting stuff. So we'll see. We'll, we'll put that on the back burner for a while. I want to see if maybe eventually you might warm up to Ward a little bit. It's, it's not going to be happening anytime soon. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> but eventually I think that might because happen. Because when you said you um, like the actor, my initial reaction was, oh, cool. Does he go do other stuff soon that I could check him out in <laughs> i like him i i you know i saw like there's all these you know videos of behind the scenes with all these people and everybody adores him like i've seen you know like william paley conversation or like panel conversations like comic-con or whatever you know um with these people and he is charming and fun and sweet and just lovely like seems like a lovely human being so him as a person like actually grew on me you know but i do i like I like Ward. Ward gets more interesting to me as we go. But right now, it's still not not great Ward. I anxiously so. await the day. I don't know. I don't know if it's ever going to happen for hey, you. Hey, I I'm, don't I'm hate Sky anymore. Wait and see. So, I mean, That's very literally true. anything's That's possible. That's very true. Yeah, speaking of, so Sky's an alien, right? <laughs> well, I've quietly suspected Yes, we've quietly suspected that for a while. I, I think it's the, a nice moment there with Coulson where, you know, basically she's like, well, you gave me the blood and I don't have this hypergraphia. I'm not carving shit in walls. And he's like, yeah, because you might have already been an alien. Right. And she's like, wait a minute. He's like, it's just a theory. She's like, no, a theory is something scientists use to prove things in nature. This is you telling me I might be an alien. <laughs> And she just completely freaks out on him. I was trying not to rattle you. She's like, guess what? Epic fail. Yeah, you know? that is a delightful yeah. scene because you watch both of them utterly fail at interpersonal communication. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Yeah. In in more or less believable ways. Right. Colson's good at being an agent, but he's not really good at handling like this kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, and I'm not sure that there's any good way to tell somebody that you're an alien. You might be an alien. <laughs> you might be. It's a theory. I, We're just saying. You know what? In the MCU, there's one good way to tell somebody that they might be an alien. We think yeah. you might be as guardian. 
Not right. And they would be like, hot damn, you know. Awesome, right. But yeah, not so much this other thing. <laughs> so I thought that that was really nice. Um, here's the thing, which is really, really strange. But again, like Sky's vulnerability around where she comes from and her family. We've had this since season one, right? We've been building on that since season one. And I get it. I'm just not interested. Like, I just don't care, except that I kind of love her dad. Yeah. <laughs> I love Kyle McLaughlin. First of all, I've never really liked Kyle McLaughlin that much. I was never really that into Twin Peaks. I saw him in Desperate Housewives. I didn't really care for his character there. I love Cal. I love every... He is so, like, just just teetering on the edge of sanity. Um, his whole like wild card in the middle of all this stuff like he's you know he's with hydra but he's not with hydra no. like yeah all of it is just it's so cool and it's so interesting and i just like whenever he's on camera i absolutely love him and then that whole thing with reina you know where reina's like i need that obelisk and he's like whatever lady you're not getting it <laughs> cool you story know? sorry about completely that completely He's completely flipped out. So we have all this stuff with like um, with Sky, where we have this vulnerability around, you know, her dad and she wants to know and all this kind of stuff. And I don't really care about it for Sky, but I care about it for him, which is almost never the case when you introduce yeah. a new character that's like part of the family of one of our main characters. You care about them because they're, you know, the the dad or whatever. But here I just I love his performance. I love the way this character is written. I think he's so interesting. Um so I'm really loving yeah, it. Yeah, I'm way more here for the mystery of Sky than I am for the yeah. emotional connection of Sky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's really replaced her lack of family with the agents. Yeah. So to be mm -hmm. honest, we've kind of put that emotional conflict to bed, you know, yeah. really. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It'd be nice if she knew her dad, but also heads up, he is psychotic and apparently right. has weird powers and too much knowledge. Maybe just instantly yeah. start distancing yourself from that guy mentally. You know? Yeah. Yeah. This is not going to be a happy Thanksgiving. Right. Right. <laughs> it's not going to be good. <laughs> so, um, so I actually, I really like him. I enjoy Cal. Um, I find him interesting. We don't get much of Raina. Uh, in these episodes, but I absolutely love Raina on the back foot. She has always been a little bit too cool for school, you know, throughout. I've always liked yes. her, you know, because she's had a handle on things, but she's always been a little too cool. She's always been on top of things. Now we see her truly vulnerable, truly scared, right? Scared to death of Whitehall and what he's going to do to her. All he want, all she wants is to be able to bring Skye to Cal so that Cal will give her the obelisk so she can hand it over to Whitehall and then she's, you know, out, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yes. Where she retires and goes off to somewhere sunny, right? But then she sits down with Coulson and drops that, you know, where she's going to tell everybody at Hydra about Simmons, you know, and put Simmons on the line and all this stuff. And I love when he calls her bluff. I love how freaked out she is. I love that they inject her with a tracking device. I love that he sends her out into the world like, well, if you get killed, you get killed. But otherwise, you might be useful. Yes. I mean, that is it's such awesome. an awesome spy fi and very believable. Yeah. Like, Raina is so in control all the time that the minute she's not, mm -hmm. she, she, become, she goes from like 110% competent to about 70% competent. 
Yes. Which is mm-hmm. great because it's still very competent, but it's also like other very competent people can go, you're rattled and you're never rattled. You know what? Right. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I call your bluff. Here's a tracking device. Let's see what I, you know. And it's not like they have warm, fuzzy feelings for her on any level, mm-hmm. the agents. So, right. Um, yeah, I, I like all of that. I, I feel very excited that they are giving that much character stuff to Reyna because I feel like, yeah. oh, please don't tell me I'm wrong. That means she's going to be around for a while. And I love her as like <laughs> that person. Yeah. She's fantastic. And she's, you know, and we're showing that we're like building her up to be more than just a femme fatale in a flower dress, yes. you know, which is what originally she very much had that, that smoky noir femme fatale energy to her, you know, but there's more going on. And I like that moment with Cal where Cal's like, yeah, all you have was fairy tales and what your, your grandmother told you. So we have this sense of there's this history with Raina mm-hmm. that it's clearly very personal. You know, um, that what she wants to get out of this is extremely personal to her, which, of course, you know, plays on the disappointment last season when she found out that the con or the uh, clairvoyant was just some crazy guy. You right. Know? Yeah. Um, Weren't we so all I disappointed to discover that the clairvoyant yeah, was were. Garrett? A little disappointed, yeah. I gotta say. Um, <laughs> but I love, I love what they're doing with her. That they're they're bringing her to a much more complicated place. Yes, and uh, and it's really really fun to watch. And Ruth Nega is fantastic in the role. I will watch her do anything. She's so so great. Raina has always, to me, been really complex. Mm-hmm. Because you're right, like the first introduction to her is this very smoky femme fatale thing, but then they undercut that right away. With yeah. the lean in for the kiss, and then she's not there, and he's captured. You know, like, right away, mm-hmm. they are undermining that. Um, yeah. So she's always been really complex and interesting. But now, yeah, that's why I say it feels more like they're making her a character. Because yeah, now she has conflict. Like, emotional conflict. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's not... Like, this is a thing the rest of the MCU could probably take note of. Mm-hmm. Really interesting villains don't necessarily have to have a bunch of emotional conflict like they can just be layered and interesting right right but if you're mm-hmm. gonna make them actually important characters to the show this is how you do it i love it yeah yes. rain is great yes absolutely no it's so so much fun and i mean you put her up against whitehall right yes. whitehall who is just capital e evil capital c creepy and like that's you know basically he's a nazi like there's you know there's just nothing we're not going to have any vulnerability from him we're not going to feel anything for him we're not going and that's fine like i think that's fine yeah. but having having reina as you know as a villain a bad guy that we can still connect with that is still interesting that has layers of humanity that we can understand you know she's just really really single-minded and obsessed and often finds herself on the wrong side of the agents right yes but um but she's really i just think she's so fantastic so we've got these episodes right and here's the thing like i i think you can probably clearly see this from my notes which are never about the mission so I'm never really into like the mission or whatever it is. They're tracking Ward. They're going to find out who had these, you know, these alien tech, you know, splinter bombs that turned people into obelisk similar dust, you know, like all this kind of stuff. Um, so I, I honestly, I never really care. I'm always interested in these personal relationships and all that kind of stuff. But you like enjoy that kind of spy fi stuff, right? So what did you think about the missions that they, they sent them on and the fight scenes and all that kind of stuff? So... This is actually a very good synthesis of the stuff that I traditionally love about Mm spy-fi with 
a more modern storytelling sensibility, you know? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I really did, you know, cut my teeth on stuff like Man from Uncle and mm-hmm. uh, and Mission Impossible, where there was almost never any personal life. It was the show's very plot driven, very much all about this mission, you know? Um, yeah. And maybe you'd get like glimpses of character bits, especially between Solo and Kiriakin when they had to work together. You know, that's basically what mm-hmm. they blew out into the Man from Uncle movie was right. that that friction. And and I think that that's a really that's a good example of what's going on here. Like, I like the missions. The missions all mm-hmm. make sense. Right? right. They all are very dangerous. Like the stakes make sense and why this group of people would be interested makes sense. And. I really liked the conflict going on between what's left of Hydra and what's left of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, right. you know, mm-hmm. having opposite numbers with these people in between. I like all of that stuff, but I am also mostly here for the character stuff. Like, yeah. it's probably mm-hmm. 60-40. Like, I think I wouldn't mm-hmm. care about these characters if we weren't doing the missions. But I guarantee right. I wouldn't care about the missions if it weren't these people going on them. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I get I get a little bored. I'm like, okay, we've got another fight scene. And they there were fun things happening. Sure. You know, like in the fight scenes. There was it was fun when they broke into the house in Bruges, you know, and, and um and when, you know, May has that fight with the guy with like the weird chain <laughs> knife thing and I was like, What is it with the weird, like, you know, custom built weaponry, <laughs> you know? Bobby's got her batons, you know, and this guy has the chain with the thing, and of course we're gonna see, you know, Know, individualized uh, weaponry come up for some of the other characters without spoiling but um, but yeah I, I don't know I thought that was kind of crazy like that guy with the weird like whipping the chain knife around <laughs> what was that about well I like signature weapons and I think they are very much a superhero thing in that that's a very visual medium like the very first thing that makes yes. a superhero mm-hmm. a superhero is the costume and so right. even when you have people like like if you go look at Mockingbird's usual costumes they're Mm -hmm. they're pretty chill and i mean Mm -hmm. she has some kind of like ridiculous giant sleeves and stuff sometimes but they're very it's pretty basic you know but you Mm -hmm. always know it's her because we cut a particular silhouette and part of those silhouettes is the batons you know sure um Mm -hmm. and so when you give and may is also hyper competent hand-to-hand combatant so you have to give her something more interesting to do than just punch dudes Right. So I actually like that effort. (laughs) Dodge the flying knife on a chain. Yeah. So I I like signature weaponry. I mean, I think you see it everywhere um, uh, in the MCU, or at least a lot. You know, uh, Captain America's shield. You know, Thor's hammer. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. We've got a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, And, of course, the magic crowbar for the Wrecking Crew, which is... (laughs) Oh, which is something I will never forget. (laughs) I right. Well, okay. So right, this is a good example. Okay, Uh Um, I really feel like this is a good example of what I'm talking about because you look at the Wrecking Crew, especially the Wrecker himself, and that's God. I shudder to guess, but that's might be the first time that I use the phrase "low rent hood" on right. Listen up, a holes, (laughs) because that is his deal. Low Uh rent hood. And what happens yeah. to a low rent hood when he becomes when he gets a magical indestructible crowbar? Well, first mm-hmm. of all, of course it's a crowbar, right? But he just becomes a low rent hood with superpowers. Like it's not right a fundamental <laughs> shift. And the fact that you get that visually communicated to you by the fact that he is still wearing what essentially is a ski mask, like yeah. a guy who's going to knock over a convenience store and carrying a crowbar. Like you know this guy's mm-hmm. deal. Like. That guy 
has got Thor concerned, but is also a complete loser. You know, <laughs> right? Like he's a loser of a criminal. Yeah. Just look at him. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so I mm-hmm. I like that kind of stuff. I like that we're getting more of that. Um, I appreciated May's if I need a gun, I'll take it thing. But yes. it's not as visually mm-hmm. interesting as Bobby walking down the hallway wrecking dudes with two sticks. That's fairly true. Now, I got to say, I do. I like the signature weapons. I think that that's cool. I like it for our heroes. And I mean, if you have something as cool as a magical crowbar, absolutely, I'm in with the villains. <laughs> but the weird, like, and especially the guy who has, like, you know, we named him. I think he was like Scarlatti or whatever, you know, just for that one episode. He's not anybody significant. Giving a signature weapon like that to somebody who's a, you know, also ran one episode guy, like that felt a little weird to me. But I think I, I'd like to be the like on the wall of the production crew and be like, we've got the chain fighter action right? choreographer this week. So somebody uh, is fighting uh, with a chain. It's like, all right, somebody's fighting with a knife on a chain and flying around. <laughs> well, he can also Julianne for you. Sure. You know, I mean, there's there's a number the of things air. that you can do with a flying knife on a chain. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Cut a watermelon in half. <laughs> All right, so I just want to talk a little bit about the tech because I love the tech as much. Like I swear to, I've never been that kind of like, but I love that. I love the fish taco wrap. Yes, tech. I think that that is so cool. The splinter bombs, you know, that come in and yeah, no, I mean they look really cool. And then we've got the the effect from you know in the opening of the other episode with the wedding where everybody drinks and then they all kind of like you know, have that, that obelisk, you know, turning to, to coal mm-hmm. sort of, you know, charring up effect. Um, I thought it was really cool. I like the fact that we have associated whatever this obelisk does, that we've got these other things that also sort of do that, you know, um, really, really interesting. I like that they're experimenting with it, that they don't really know what it's going to do, but they're kind of like, okay, let's just see. You yeah. Know? Well, that's a hydra. Um, I mean, that's probably more yeah. of an aim move but again we mm-hmm. wasted aim in iron man 3 so i like sure. mm-hmm. that that's hydra's deal where it's like is this gonna make a weapon probably how good a weapon yeah uh-huh. let's find out let's you try know. it out <laughs> let's go in the field and see what happens no i love that um so i thought the tech was really fun um in these episodes what did you think of it i i mean that's that spy fi stuff is stuff i really like uh so mm-hmm. i'm an easy sell right yeah, um, mm-hmm. But I do like these in particular, and I think that I may like them for the reasons that they're working on you. Yeah. And I have two th- examples using the fish taco wrap and the splinter bombs. So sure. the easy mm-hmm. one is the splinter bomb. Like one of the reasons that it works for you, I think, is it's growing out of stuff that's happening on screen. Yeah. Right? Like it's yeah, tied absolutely. to mm-hmm. stuff that the agents failed to do. They're like, we failed to retrieve the obelisk, and now we are paying a price for that. In these weapons. Exactly. That's pretty cool. And it has that narrative connection. Exactly. The obelisk is obviously narratively really important. So it isn't just like a random, you know, knife on a chain version <laughs> of tech, you know, right? But it's, um, but it is something that it does relate deeper. Yes, absolutely. That's a big part of the reason why I like it. And with the fish taco wrap, I think what mm-hmm. might be working is that that is still basically spy stuff. That's basically a dead yeah. drop. But yeah. because S.H.I.E.L.D. is super spies, it's a super dead drop. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it is the, it is the kind of thing that would be wildly out of place in, like, a John le Carre novel or something. Right. But here, mm-hmm. it's telling you stuff about this fiction. They're still spies, but they are super mm-hmm. spies. 
And yeah. I mean, that's what it should do. It, it should either be the tech in a spy fi for me should either be the big MacGuffin that we have to deal with. Like it's the thing that escalates the whole thing to the level of agents of shield, you know, right. And then we don't mm-hmm. need much, right. That's your gravitonium. Um, yes. Or mm-hmm. it should be real chill, low level. Like we could have just left this under a brick, but instead mm-hmm. we're going to have super high tech fish taco wrap. You know, which, yeah, and I love the whole thing. Like, I love the fact that she talks into it and that it records her voice and then she just crumples it up. Like, I mean, it's just so yeah. cool. And like the little the little unused sheet of it that was in her desk. <laughs> just the whole thing. I loved it. I just thought it was very, very cool. That, I mean, and again, yeah. in the John Lacare novel, it would have been a notepad and a stubby pencil that they like write down something sure. in code, crumple it up and throw mm-hmm. it away to be collected later. Yeah. But this is Agent right. Shield, damn it. Not Tinker Tailor Soldier yeah. Spy. Get on our level. <laughs> it is. It's very cool. All right. So from these three episodes, Joshua, what is your favorite part? Um, It's Bobby, right? Like, yeah. I mean, okay. So I can, I can talk about uh, like one of the things that kind of concerns me for this show while talking about mm-hmm. what I love about her, right? We have now two and a half hyper competent spy ladies. Yes. Now, mm-hmm. you cannot have too many of those, right? Mm-hmm. Don't don't get me wrong. Like uh, we have a couple of hyper competent spy lads, mm-hmm. and I'm bored with one of them. His name <laughs> rhymes with bored. I don't think that's an accident. <laughs> and so I'm starting to wonder how the differentiation is going to come about because um, mm-hmm. I love May. You know, she's amazing. Yes. But Bobby mm-hmm. really seems like just as good. You know, mm-hmm. like just as skilled. And yeah, and so I, I only say that not to mar my favorite part, but it is a thing that I was wondering mm-hmm. as I watched the set that I was like, how are we going to differentiate them so they're not just living in each other's space, you know, in yes. this way? Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is I love how scary Bobby is as a Hydra agent. Yes. I, and again, mm-hmm. I'm disappointed that I didn't get to have that revealed to me, you know, my own fault. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she scares Simmons. Like, she scares Simmons in the mm-hmm. lab. She scares Simmons in the bathroom. And then she's coming down the hall, and you're like, and, and even if I know it, I'm still like, what is about to happen? And she just wrecks these dudes. And, and you know, again, mm-hmm. it felt like a really – May could not have slotted in there because she couldn't have done the other two parts of that. But I really like right. that mm-hmm. super hyper-competent, badass, undercover lady thing going on. Yeah. She is so great. Mm-hmm. And I'm really looking forward to more of her as we go forward. So – yeah. Well, the thing is, the the bigger our, you know, roster gets, the deeper our bench gets with all of these agents, the more it does feel sometimes like you have a little bit of repetition because you really want every character to have a role, yeah. like yeah. a role that is specific to what they do. And when you have an overlap in some of those roles, sometimes it can feel a little bit like, OK, well, why do we need all these people? So. I don't think it's necessarily about the the lady agents so much as we already have somebody who does yeah, that. Yeah, it stands you know, out who does her thing. to me mm-hmm. with the lady agents, particularly because, like, that was right. May's job. Right. She was more mm-hmm. competent in the field than Ward. Like, that was... Yeah. Um, and, and also super cool because she's uh, um, a Hollywood older Asian mm-hmm. woman. Yeah, You know, exactly. like, all that's really mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Um. And I, I just I love Bobby's like attitude and personality, and that's all very, very different. So I love all that stuff. And mm-hmm. it's not it's not even shade. It's just I love her so much that I'm like, okay, but now I'm gonna have to decide who I love more, Bobby or May. And I am uncomfortable right. with this choice. 
Don't make me make that choice. I know it's tough. <laughs> Lonnie, tell me about your favorite part. I have to say, I think it's I think it's Simmons falling in love with Bobby. <laughs> like I think it is that it's that so brief good. moment in the sun. Yes, where Simmons is just completely into it. <laughs> She's amazing. I love all of that. I just think it's just incredible. You're very good. You were very intimidating. You know, um, just all of it was just so so much fun. And I kind of wish we'd played that out yes. a little bit longer. But of course, then as soon as we got back, Simmons had to be the dramatic you know, other part to this like very heavy thing with Fitz. And we just didn't have room, I think, for her to be cutely in love with Bobby. But don't you know? we? Um, I mean, what if she kind of leaned into yeah. that crush because it was so much easier than dealing with her actual feelings for Fitz? I think we could have had some fun with it. But apparently just in that episode, we just get a little bit of it. And then she comes in. Yeah. Especially if Bobby wasn't really into it. You know, if Bobby's like, listen... <laughs> I just don't swing. People that fall way. in love with me, or not even that. It's just people fall in love with me all the time. Oh, like I'm so used to this. Oh, this happens to me all the time. That yeah. Been so good. Um, but also, she's in love with Lance. Like I, I actually would like it if there was a little bit flirty. We don't need to be so damn heteronormative no, on true. this it's show. True. You know, we could use a little bit, like you know, move people around a little bit on the Kinsey scale. Just dip your toes in. It would have been fine. You know, Bobby um, letting yeah. Simmons down so gently that it makes yes. Simmons love her more. Yes, it would have been really sweet. I'm so I'm just it. saying yeah. there's there's room for that kind of thing. We don't really spend much time with it with Agents of Shield, but um but I would I would appreciate a little less heteronormativity, but that's fine. I can I can enjoy Simmons falling in love with Bobby Morse, you know, right away just for the moment in the sun that it is. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> All right. If you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. I am at Lonnie Diane Rich and Joshua is at Joshua Unruh. And the hashtag is listen up a-holes. Both Chipperish Media and Pulp Diction Productions are entirely supported by listeners like you who will kill you if they ever see you again. <laughs> Show your support by visiting our Patreon pages or by leaving a great review on Apple Podcasts. Links are in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We'll be back next time with our discussion of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 2, Episodes 8 to 10. Until then, you go on a date with the crazy wall, we get to chaperone. The Writing on the Wall aired on November 11th, 2014, and was written by Craig Tightly? I think Titley? I'm say. not doing that. <laughs> you can call him Tightly. I'm just doing Tightly. Mm.